the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Clock on this free for all Friday edition, eight, eight, the uh, uh, eighth morning of the month of March in the year of our Lord 2019. Coming up in about uh, half an hour, we're going to talk to Eric Ruark from. Uh, every time I say his name, I, I'm reminded of uh, <laughs> uh, what's the Matthew McConaughey movie with Samuel? A Time to Kill. A Time to Kill. And San, uh, Sandra Bullock's character, his name was Rourke, R O A R K. And of course, down there in the Mississippi language, it was Roark. Uh, this is Eric Ruark, who's going to be joining us from Numbers USA to talk about the immigration crisis, both legal and illegal. That'll be at the bottom of the hour. But for now, I want to I want to go back to this absolutely reprehensible, cowardly decision by the House Democrats yesterday to refuse to stand up and condemn in unison the rampant Jew-hating and Israel-hating anti-Semitism of one of their own, which, of course, is Ilhan Omar. Um, they refused to do this, and instead of, of, of issuing a resolution or proposing a resolution for a vote, condemning specifically anti-Semitism and the consistent remarks made by Omar, they decided, no, that's one of ours. We have to find a way to turn this around and make this anti-Trump. So we'll say, well, we have to condemn all hate speech, including the hate speech that comes out of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Anti-black, anti-women, anti-Muslim, anti-everything speech from Donald Trump and his supporters. So it's not just anti-Semitism that is bad. It's anti-all sorts of bigotry that are bad. This way we condemn him rather than identifying and condemning our own. Now, they did this in a very, very calculated way. They made it appear as though if you vote against this, then you don't condemn hatred, bigotry, and hate speech. And that's why almost every Republican had to vote for it, too, despite the ridiculous political game that they were playing. And they did. That's why the vote passed. Uh, or excuse me, the uh, vote totals were so overwhelming. Only 23 Republicans voted against the bill. And yes, idiots like Representative Alexandria Kelly Bundio Cortez immediately took to Twitter to say, why, what is, where's the statement from these 23 House Republicans explaining why they don't condemn hatred? That says a lot. As if to say, if you didn't vote for this, you support hatred. It's very, very conniving and very, very tricky what they did. And yes, almost every Republican had to vote for it because of the way they framed it. Uh, I just got a tweet critical of Congressman Gonzalez, who uh, voted for it, saying, why did he vote for this thing when he knew that it was as embarrassing and what a political joke that it was? And the answer is, of course, you don't want to be on the record as having voted uh, against a bill that condemns hatred or a resolution. You want to be on the record as saying, of course I condemn hatred, and I, I condemn anti-Semitism uh, uh, you know, um, uh, and anti-Muslim and anti-black and anti-whatever speech. That's why. 
you know, they trap, especially uh, freshmen like this, into a situation where they have to make, make a vote uh, that isn't going to come back to bite them later in, in campaigns and that sort of thing. But having said that, there were 23 who voted against this ridiculous resolution yesterday, the most vocal of which was Congressman Zeldin from New York. He took to the floor, Lee Zeldin did, he is Jewish, he took to the floor yesterday, almost an empty chamber, because the Democrats wouldn't pay them the courtesy of listening to him, explaining why he voted no on this terribly ridiculous resolution. And I think it's worth listening to for the next three minutes. Bear with me. I think you're going to want to hear this. Congressman Lee Zeldin on the floor calling them out. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, Let's all be honest with each other. Uh, We are here today right now because of anti-Semitic rhetoric from one member of this chamber said again and again and again. We would not be on this floor right now otherwise to discuss this topic. If that member was a Republican, that member's name would be in this resolution, and this resolution would be all about condemning anti-Semitism, and it would be done so forcefully. That member in January had to apologize for talking about a hypnosis of Israel that they have over the entire world. That member had to apologize in February by saying that if you support Israel, it must be because you're bought off by Jews. That member called it an unequivocal apology, even though she filled it with equivocation. And now we're back again, this time by saying that if you support the U.S.-Israel relationship, that you must have pledged allegiance to a foreign government. Except this time that member is refusing to apologize. Even if you gave that member every benefit of the doubt that she had no idea what she was doing, why now wouldn't she be apologizing? Why would she be more emboldened to refuse an apology altogether? I apparently uh, am giving Rep. Omar more credit than uh, the Speaker is because I don't believe she is naive. I believe that she knows exactly what she's doing. It is an American value, by the way, to have reasonable, legitimate criticism of a government, whether it be the U.S. government, Israel, or any other government. It is not an American value, though, to be hurling anti-Semitic rhetoric. Anti-Semitism must be condemned unequivocally and emphatically. We have members of this chamber who associate with Louis Farrakhan who says, quote, Hitler was a very great man. Let's talk about a double standard. In January, we all came to this chamber. We condemned white supremacy. We named a Republican member. We kicked that member off of his committees. He can't serve on the Small Business Committee, but this member will continue to serve on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. But no, now... We can't come here and just emphatically, solely, forcefully condemn anti-Semitism and name names. But if it was a Republican, we would. It's time to call out these statements for what they are. Pointed, bigoted, unreasonable, illegitimate, anti-Semitic. I commend my colleagues on the other side of the aisle who have been speaking out about all this anti-Semitism. A few members come to mind. Chairman Engel, Congressman Deutsch. Congressman Nadler, Congresswoman Lowy, Congressman Gottheimer. Many of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, I believe to their core, know how very wrong this is, and there are many other members to name as well. And I'd be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity to say thank you to each and every one of them, because support of Israel, support of Jews, standing against anti-Semitism, has been bipartisan in the past. It should be bipartisan today, and should be bipartisan for every moment in the future. I yield back. And I would be remiss if I didn't say thank you to Congressman Lee Zeldin from New York for that impassioned and accurate assessment of the entire situation. 
But it's not bipartisan. Criticism of anti-Semitism isn't bipartisan anymore. It's not bipartisan because it doesn't have to be. Because for some reason, unbeknownst to many, a significant portion of the Jewish population in the United States of America is beholden to the Democrat Party. Despite their anti-Semitism, despite their anti-Israel leanings, despite all of the above. And it's especially not bipartisan now, criticism of anti-Semitism, because the person doing the anti-Semitic, making the anti-Semitic remarks happens to be a Muslim. And her Sharia-loving self isn't going to stand by and be criticized for criticizing Jews, because she is a Muslim from Somalia who has had a struggle in her own right. How dare you criticize this struggling Muslim? And if you do criticize this Muslim who criticized Judaism or Israel and Jews in general, if you criticize this Muslim who criticizes Jews, then you are being anti-Muslim. You're being Islamophobic. Nobody's going to do that. Lee Zeldin mentioned Elliot Engel, uh, who is also a Jew, uh, who chairs that Foreign Affairs Committee, and he agreed, although he still voted for the bill, uh, he did agree that there should have been a separate resolution condemning anti-Semitism and Ilhan Omar. And this resolution is a fine resolution, and I will support it, but I am very disappointed that we weren't able to have a separate resolution to specifically condemn anti-Semitism and what our colleague said that really was, was a very hateful term. I hope we can put everything together in this House. I know we can. I know people on both sides of the aisle want to work together. We want to stomp out any form of hatred, particularly anti-Semitism. I will continue to work with anybody who wants to do that, and I yield back the balance of my time. So he wants specifically to condemn her, did not get it. Um, you heard uh, Lee Zeldin also reference Congressman uh, Deutsch, who also said this shouldn't have been that difficult. Mr. Speaker, today should not be about politics. I didn't rise to be political. This is personal. A few years ago, I was invited to, do, to speak at the U.N. General Assembly's special session on anti-Semitism. I told the representatives from the assembled countries that anti-Semitism is the canary in the coal mine, that if there is anti-Semitism in your country, there is hatred that will ultimately permeate throughout society if it is not checked. And I think that is a very profound statement by Congressman Ted Deutsch from Florida, because it's true. If you are willing to be anti-Semitic, if you are willing to be anti-Jew, if you are willing to be anti-Israel, after the history that we have in this country, the recent history, we're only talking about 60, 70 years ago uh, with what happened, uh, to Jews, if you're willing to be anti-Semitic against them or, 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 or bigoted against them, you will be bigoted against anybody and everybody. And that's very, very dangerous. And now let me pivot to some of the reaction from outside of Capitol Hill. Let's get away from the representatives for a moment. I want you to listen to one of the most reprehensible people, I think, working in cable news media today. Kirsten Powers, one of the most just... Uh, virulently uh, anti-conservative and anti-Trump um, members working in the media. And I know there are some really, really seriously demented hacks who suffer from Trump derangement syndrome on CNN and on MSNBC. But I think she is close to as bad as it gets. Listen. But I am very uncomfortable with the way she has been singled out mm -hmm. here at, you know, in, while we have a president who routinely 
makes racist comments about African Americans' IQs. He has made anti-Semitic comments. As how, how can she be allowed to sit on CNN and say things like that? She has a hard time with how hard people are being on Omar because she says we have a... Per- First of all, this is issue is not about the president, you demon rat hack. Number two, if you are going to speak about the president, stop telling lies, you demon rat hack. You hear what she said? He has criticized African-Americans' intelligence. African-Americans' IQs. He IQs. Has made- because they're African-American, of course. That's her implication here. No, he has criticized Maxine Waters' intelligence because Maxine Waters sounds like a babbling idiot. Or blithering, if you prefer. I don't know. It depends on the day. Sometimes babbling, sometimes blithering. Criticizing somebody who is a critic of yours and calling to impeach 45, impeach 45, over and over and over again, is not criticizing African-Americans' intelligence. It's criticizing one person's intelligence. But let's see how these people operate. More from this demon rat anti-semitic comments as well and he has show me anti-semitic comments made by the most pro-israel and pro-jew president that we have had in decades in this country find one back that up kirsten powers demon rat hack never been condemned there has never been a resolution by anybody that's because none of those things exist you demon rat Hack. Republican side, there was no, you know, no resolution condemning him, you know, basically saying, you know, there's good people on both sides. So why? That's because there are good people on all sides. And yesterday I went into great detail talking about Charlottesville. You demon rat hack. Is this woman being singled out in the way that she's being singled out and having the weight of all of Washington come down on her? Because she is a Jew hater. Loud and professed. She is an Israel hater. Loud and professed as such. And has been one publicly going back as far as 2012. The real question here, demon rat hack, is why you are defending her so passionately. Because you are where you belong. Because you're on CNN. These people are very, very dangerous for the United States of America. Do they have a right to say these things? Of course. I'm not a Democrat. I would never restrict somebody's civil, uh, 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 Bill of Rights, First Amendment rights, or civil rights for that matter. I would absolutely not. But the way they use them, the lies they tell, the unbridled hatred and derangement that they have for the president to the point where they will actually justify anti-Semitism just so that they, th- they can take shots of him, that's a very dangerous situation. We'll be right back. Right. He turned to me as if to say, hurry boy, it's waiting. All right, 1028 here. Let's squeeze a couple of phone calls in before the bottom of the hour. Lisa Woods from Medina County, friends and neighbors. Lisa, go right ahead. Hey, good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm good, dear. I'm really short on time, though. What's on your mind this morning? Okay. Hey, we've got a great speaker coming um, tomorrow at McFan. We have Patrick Hedger is coming from D.C. He's uh, a uh, policy guy from FreedomWorks. Um, he's the director of policy, and he manages the Regulatory Action Center at FreedomWorks. And uh, if you haven't heard That's or know great. what they do, they great work. I mean, um, I, I can't say enough about them. 
Uh, he'll be speaking tomorrow at the Copper Top at 8.30 till 10, and that's uh, in Valley City at 5740 Val- uh, Center Road in Valley City. And uh, also you can find us on Facebook and get more information um, about that. We've got so much coming up, and I just get so heated up when I listen to you talk. There's, <laughs> you know, Northeast Ohio, we just really got to – uh, stay happy warriors and join, um, you know, with, with groups like McFan or other like-minded groups in Northeast Ohio. You know, we, we've got that convention of, wow. of, uh, conservative groups coming, but we'll talk about that more later. But, you know, at McFan, we're going to have a legislative update with Kick and Hambly coming up in the next, uh, couple of meetings. We'll have a Ohio Senate update from our president of the Senate. Um, and I can't wait well, to, to, to show the, the, the comprehensive sex education that, that we're going to talk about in April. Oh, my gosh. You know, our, well, our folks congratulations on the great get for tomorrow, Lisa. FreedomWorks is amazing. That's a great organization. They do really, really great work. So it's, I'm glad to let us, uh, that you're letting us know about tomorrow's event. And, yes, we will in, uh, definitely talk about the uh, uh, coalition uh, getting together on March 23rd. We'll talk about that the next time that we talk, Lisa. Thank you so much. I appreciate you t- uh, calling in. i got more people on hold. I'm going to ask you to hold, though, continue to hold, rather, uh, because I've got to get news here, and I've got to talk to a guest from Numbers USA about the problem not only of legal Im- illegal immigration, but the growing problem, based on White House policy now, of legal immigration. That'll be coming up right after this on AM 1420. Ten thirty four. Now the Bob France Authority continues. By my count, there are 26 minutes of outstanding awesome left for you this morning. Then you'll get the Gallagher version of awesome. Then you'll get Prager. And then Dr. G, Jay Secular, Larry Elder, stay here all day, all night. If you're looking for the best in conservative talk and commentary and analysis free of the buffoonery you get in other locations in this market, uh, you will stay right here. All right, I want to dive back into the immigration issue, actually a few different in a few different ways. We all know that uh, reports this week indicate that we are on pace for the most border crossings of our southern border by illegal aliens in the last 12 years. A massive, massive rush for the border. We have caravan after caravan after caravan that we cover and seem to care about once they're on their way, but then we forget about and ignore once they get to the border, and then the news stops covering the fact that they're being allowed in. They're successful. So we have a massive rush of illegal immigrants and phony asylum seekers coming across the southern border. And the president's response to that is, I want to now bring in record numbers of legal immigrants as well. That's right. The president has literally flip-flopped in a way that I, I haven't seen very often, to be quite honest with you. The president just a year ago was saying we need to cut in half the number of legal immigrants allowed into this country. And now, despite the rush of illegals, he is saying we need more foreign workers to come in here and compete for jobs with American workers. And oh, by the way, this comes at a time in which you found out this morning we only had 20,000 jobs created in the month of February. So there are some problems here. And joining us now to discuss those problems is Eric Ruark, Director of uh, Research at Numbers USA, which is one of the best and most important uh, immigration organizations working in America today. Today, uh, Mr. Ruark, good to have you. How are you? Good. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, by the way, have you ever gotten the uh, "A Time to Kill" reference with your last name? No, I have not. I did have you, not. Do you remember the movie uh, Matthew McConaughey? Samuel I do. Samuel L. Jackson. I do. Uh, well, I've never seen the movie, but I, oh, you is never there saw a Ruark it. in there? 
Uh, well, no, there's a, well, her name, that's the funny part about it is she's the, uh, uh, the liberal who went down to, uh, the, to the south, um, from Boston. Her name is Rourke, R-O-A-R-K, Rourke. Oh, and okay. The, the uh, thing in the movie was, uh, McConaughey calls her, uh, every, throughout the movie, Roark. It's the southern version of Rourke is Roark. And, and every, as soon as I well, you, name, you got I said, mine perfectly. Um, <laughs> a lot of people do have trouble with it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it just called it to mind as soon as I saw it. I thought of that movie. I've seen that movie about a dozen times. It's really a great one. All right, Eric, um, let, let's, uh, before we tar- start talking about the amnesty bill that Nancy Pelosi is going to try to uh, bring forth next week that Numbers USA has issued a, a statement on, which I think is very important, can you try to make a little bit of sense of what I just described, the fact that we are having a record number of illegal border crossings coming, and the president has now apparently decided that rather than cutting legal immigration in half, that he wants to increase it by a massive amount, which he said at the State of the Union address last month and that he reiterated this week? Right. Well, I'm sure I can really make sense of it, but I can try to put it maybe into some perspective uh, and, and, you know, say it's, it's less than encouraging what we're, we're seeing on the messaging, at least coming from the White House. Um, what, what, it, what they're signaling is that, you know, they've, they had to fight with the wall and the president did declare a national emergency to get funding to build portions of, uh, you know, barriers on the southern border. Um, but some of the things that they want to do are either tied up in court or will be challenged. Uh, you know, Senate votes soon, probably, to uh, whether or not to um, ex- you know, try to stop the national emergency. And, and it doesn't look like they're going to have enough votes to override a veto, because the president certainly will veto, veto that. And uh, if, they don't, if they can't override it, it will go into effect, which will allow him to, to obtain funds and start building uh, portions of the wall. Uh, but it seems that, that, that the White House is sort of moving on from from that fight, uh, which is still ongoing when we look at what's going on at the border. And you pointed out that um, it is a different situation right now because in the past when we had what they call historic highs of, uh, of illegal immigration, a lot of those were young men who were coming for work who might have been apprehended three, four times um, and, and may have successfully gotten in or, or ended up you know, giving up and going back home. But this is family, what they call family units, which are adults with minor children, unaccompanied minors, who are showing up declaring uh, a credible fear claim, making a federal credible fear claim, saying that they want to apply for asylum, which gives them automatic entry into the United States in order to do that. And so these people are successfully getting in, and the numbers are different um, because a lot, you know most of them who, who show up at the border and, and claim that are, are, are coming into the country and staying until they have a hearing, which may be many years down the road. So uh, for whatever reason, the White House seems to want to put that behind, in which I, you know, Given the optics of it, as the saying goes, that's not something that the president wants to um, probably spend a lot of time talking about it because he his you know his one of his platforms is being tough on illegal immigration. Now, why they want to move on to increasing uh, legal immigration is um, you know unemployment official unemployment numbers are down they're low, um, but that that's kind of you know official unemployment doesn't really reflect. Uh, the level of people working, you know, participation rate does. Uh, people who give up looking for work aren't counted in those numbers. And so we have about 50 million working-age Americans who aren't in the workforce, and that's a real problem. And so there isn't a need for more workers coming in, but there is a demand by employers. And I think that's really what's driving this is you have CEOs such as uh, Tim Cook from Apple and others, Chamber of Commerce, U.S. Chamber of Commerce, saying, uh, we need workers, which 
in their opinion is wages are starting to go up slightly, which for them create for them is a, is indication of a worker shortage. If they're starting to have to pay more and recruit, they they want to bring in more foreign workers to to prevent that from happening. I think that's really what we're seeing from the lobbying standpoint. We'll see going forward what the White House is actually going to do backing legislation, but. Uh, you know, we're we're in that wait and see, and it's as I said, it's less encouraging, at least from the messaging standpoint, what we're seeing from the White House. Eric, why shouldn't every America First supporting conservative in the United States be rampaging about that fact? I mean, the president came into the office uh, promising to raise wages, and it's working. He was right. He did a good job. Uh, manufacturing right. jobs are back. Wages are the highest uh, rate, uh, are increasing at the highest rate in over 10 years. That's how it was supposed to be, America First. And now, because wages are rising, he's listening to Apple CEOs and, as you said, Chamber of Commerce and other representatives of big business who are saying, yeah, we don't want to pay American wages. We want to pay less. Bring in foreigners. We'd rather pay foreigners less than have to pay Americans the, the, the proper wages. How, how can the president support that, and how can we not be going crazy about that? Well, that is what's unsettling, because if numbers USA opinion, I think working Americans and middle-class Americans and taxpayers as well, when we hear that wages are rising, that's a good thing. It's a positive sign. And really, when we go back, we're just starting now to come out of the recession. And so we're still below uh, employment uh, rates and uh, wage levels when we go back to you know pre-2007 before the Great Recession. And so the fact that we're finally starting to dig our way out is a very good thing. And but a lot of employers, and this isn't a pain with you know a broad brush, but there are too many employers, we say, who see that as a negative sign that wages are rising, and that they're they're going out and having to offer incentives and benefits to attract them, uh, Americans back into the workforce. But that that's what we need to have. People on the sidelines, we want them back in the labor force. We don't want the opinion to be, or I guess the way we view the economy is that. Uh, we should never have to offer employers should never have to incentivize employees right to, to get to come back to work i mean wh- if if they're not coming back in the labor force what what's what do, what signal does that send when we're ex- we accept 50 million working age people on the sidelines um and so yes i think people should be upset i i think it's a little early to to say that there's a definitive thing at the white house is a, a program that they're pushing but they need to hear and they should be hearing from the American people, from their base, from people who did vote for them, but all Americans who are concerned about this is this is not the way working Americans uh, believe the economy should operate. There's nothing wrong with Apple making tons of money, but they shouldn't be doing it um, by putting Americans at a disadvantage, and that goes for any employer. Agreed. Totally agreed. And that, that's kind of what's making a lot of this very pub, uh, uh, puzzling right now. Eric Ruark is the Director of Research at Numbers USA. Eric, Numbers USA issued a statement uh, that I read uh, early this week, which has prompted your visit here with us today, uh, to sound the alarm about the Dream and Promise Act of 2019. Officially, it'll be uh, House Resolution Number 6 that would give mm-hmm. permanent residency to millions of aliens who will have or will be permitted to claim that they have entered the United States as children and more. Can you tell us more about this bill? Right, and it's been reported that's going to be introduced uh, on March 12th, which would be Tuesday, and we, we certainly expect that to happen. And so when we talk about uh, this is a version that we've probably seen before, maybe tweaked a little bit, uh, of the DREAM Act. 
And that's different than what DACA is. So it's more expansive than that. So DACA, when we refer to DACA, we're talking about um, recipients who participated in the program and received um, uh, work authorization through that program. That's about 800,000 individuals at this point. Uh, DREAM Act is anyone who would have been eligible. So it is people who were brought here usually by under the age of 16 um, and have, you know, haven't committed a felony, and there's other stipulations to that. So the, and that's about about 3.4 million people who would be uh, affected by it, who would be eligible to receive citizenship under uh, this type of DREAM Act. And, you know, that would be the eighth anniversary. I'm, I'm sorry, Eric, if I may, just to clarify. So you said citizenship. Citizenship or permanent residency? Well, permanent residency, but it, it would it wouldn't be automatic. It's you know they would be what we call legal permanent residency, which allows you then to apply after five years for citizenship. So it doesn't grant automatically citizenship, but it does give those who receive it the eligibility to apply eventually and receive it if that's what they want to do. Oh, but okay. it does give I, them I just legal to clarify status because yeah, I just wanted to clarify if it was citizenship, if that was something that was guaranteed by this. Now we're talking about full voting rights. That's a real, real right. Well, it's so not. It, 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 what's guaranteed is that they will be allowed the chance to apply for citizenship, right? Some of okay. them won't, but those who do will have that opportunity. Okay, fair which enough. Which will Thank give you. them the full rights, obviously. Um, and then there's also another component of it, which would, there's a program called Temporary Protective Status, which is for people who are illegal in the country and something happens in their home country, earthquake or civil war, and they're allowed to, you know, if, if they're not going to be returned home if they're apprehended. And so it's sort of a temporary amnesty until conditions in their home country, or allow them to return. And, you know, it was, it's very rare that anyone who has TPS, temporary protective status, ever loses that. So it becomes permanent because they keep renewing it over and over the, the executive administration. Um, and, the, and actually, the Trump administration tried to end it for, for four countries, um, including uh, El Salvador and Nicaragua. Nicaragua. Nicaraguans have had TPS since 1999. I think in El Salvador it's been t- since 2001. So you can see how long this temporary status has, has been maintained. And courts have, have said to the Trump administration, you can't end it. And so that's going to be something that's tied up and probably eventually will reach the Supreme Court. So this new bill will give people who have TPS permanent status, again, uh, put them, make, give them permanent residency and allow them eventually to apply if they wish for citizenship. And also a third program, which affects, uh, at this point, only Liberians, um, it's sort of a TPS. It's called deferred um, enforced departure, mm-hmm. one of these government terms. But, but basically the same thing is saying we're not going to send you home until conditions there allow uh, for your return. And that's about, I think, 40,000 Liberians. So altogether, yeah, you're looking at about four, 4 million people. But it, if, if someone becomes an LPR, a, you know, a legal resident, and particularly if they become a citizen, expands who they can sponsor to come in. So relatives also will come in including the parents who brought their children here. So, you know, that's, if we're that's a giving an amnesty about 4 million people, you're probably looking at 12 million people who might eventually get legal residency here in the United States. Yeah, and that that is that is exactly why this is so alarming, and that's why I wanted to reach out to Numbers USA, because you correctly point out that not only are these individuals, like you said, that were eligible for uh, um, uh, DACA protection but did not sign up for it, uh, they, they are now going to be protected by this, all of the TPS individuals you're mentioning as well. But, but at the end of the day, this bill, 
uh, does not address any of the things that we have all been saying need to be a part of any comprehensive immigration reform. Chain migration, unchanged. E-verify, still not mandatory. Visa lottery remains in place. Uh, sanctuary cities are still funded and not banned. All of these things that, 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 you know, are the, you know, the, the problems with the, you know, why we have such a massive rush at our, at our southern border are still the same problems. How can we even think about allowing a bill like this to pass? Well, I mean, we certainly oppose it, as, as you've uh, pointed out. There are no enforcement provisions in the bill. So it's not just they don't cut the numbers or deal with chain or, or the visa lottery. Uh, you know, there's no e verify, as you pointed out. Uh, there's no funding for border security. And so if, if this is an attempt to, you know, deal with people who are here and maybe Americans are sympathetic about you know, people who are brought here as minors, this isn't going to prevent the same situation from occurring. Um, in the future. And so that's what makes the bill so bad. Isn't it has a bunch of bad stuff in it, but there's absolutely nothing that would, that we can point to and say, okay, this is acceptable. Uh, it's just all around a, a terrible bill. Uh, it, it probably will pass the House. Um, I, I, we, we doubt it's going to get through the Senate, but given some of the Republican senators, we, we know it'll probably have full Democrat support. And given some of the Republican senators, you know, Lindsey Graham is never met an amnesty he didn't like. So, you know, while, while, you know, the Republicans are in charge of the Senate, we still have to be vigilant and let them know that this is not something the American people want. Eric Ruarka, the uh, director of research at Numbers USA, uh, with some good analysis. Uh, really appreciate what you guys do, and I'm so glad to be on your mailing list to... Um uh, so that I can get these alerts and these statements. I was not aware of all the specifics in House Resolution 6 that is coming up, as you said, on Tuesday. We need to sound that alarm, and we need everybody within the sound of my voice um, and whoever can uh, uh, do it uh, electronically by subscribing to your uh, newsletter and so on with Numbers USA to contact their members of Congress and tell them exactly what you and I just discussed and why they cannot. And, and it makes a big difference. I, I know I people might not think they're calling and contacting, but it does make a difference. It, it, it really does. Uh, numbersusa.com, right? That's it, yes, sir. Numbersusa.com. I encourage people to visit that website and then uh, sign up for their newsletter so you can get them in your mail like I did on Wednesday when I saw this particular piece of information come forward. Uh, Eric, thanks for coming on with us and uh, shedding light on the situation. Uh, please keep up the great work and stay in touch with us. Thank you, and thanks for getting the message out for us. You got it. Thank you. That's Eric Ruark from NumbersUSA.com, or NumbersUSA, the organization, is online at NumbersUSA.com. We'll check traffic one final time, come back in for a couple more final phone calls right here on AM 1420. Bible. 53, final segment of the broadcast on this Three for All Friday morning. We'll try to squeeze in a couple of phone calls. Got a couple of other pieces of audio I'd like to share with you as well. Uh, Pete is in North Royalton on AM 1420, The Answer. Pete, go right ahead. Hello, Bob. God bless you for what you're doing. I'm glad you're talking about these things. Are you aware, because I was not, when, a, when an immigrant comes to America and becomes a citizen, a legal citizen, and becomes naturalized, are you aware that they give them the test in the language of their... Of their, of their... Yes. Yes. You're what what the, is that? You're talking about the citizenship test? Yes, yes, the naturalization papers. Well, I go to vote for crying out loud. I go to vote, and it's in Spanish. Yeah, you can you can choose a number of languages. How, to where's the assimil- where's the assimilation, Bob? None. Where's there the assimilation? 
Well, demanding so you, do, demand. Hold on, d- demanding assimilation is bigoted. It's racist because you are trying to denigrate somebody else's culture, saying it's not as good as ours, and you want to make them adopt our culture. And uh, that's that's what we've been told. Um, but you're right, obviously. <laughs> I mean, that's so ridiculous. If your if your culture was so great, you 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 wouldn't have left it to come to the United that's States. Right. If I moved to Germany, Bob, I can't expect it to be in English or French right. or German or, where, or or Italian or wherever I came from. Try it. Don't even move. Like... Just just go on a trip. Go on a trip. Yeah, move. I'm... I'm sorry. Go on a trip to you know. Go to um. Uh, go to uh, go to Vietnam the way the president just did, and go to China, go to uh, Germany, go to wherever you want, and, and see if they're willing to cater to your uh, to your That's language, right. or if they're expecting you to learn the language afraid, to get along. I'm afraid. I'm very afraid, Bob, that we're going to have a civil war in this country. I really am. Well, I am praying that that does not happen. Oh, I thank God we down, don't have it. But yeah, we, we've been but down I'm that scared. road once. We don't want to. We don't want to have to do such things. But uh, yeah, I mean, w- w- there, there's going to be a tipping point where eventually people look for whatever means they have to to push back against this attempt to usurp the um, constitutional republic that w- that we uh, that we have been founded as. Uh, usurping the power that is given to the people by giving it to the government is what I'm trying to say. The founders of this great nation gave the power to us by way of that constitution. And our leaders work for us. We do not listen to them. They serve at our pleasure. And once that starts to be threatened, yeah, people are going to push back. I don't want it to be a civil war. I don't want it to be a violent thing. But people are going to push back. It's one of the reasons why I continue to tell people, uh, probably not frequently enough, about the Convention of the States, the Article 5 Convention of States, which is something we seriously need to push for. Um, and I've talked about that at length. I don't have time to talk about it right now because it's 1056, but that is something you want to look into. Jay in Illyria is next. Hi, Jay. Go ahead. Hey, good morning. First of all, in response to what the guy that was just on just said, We've been in a civil war for a long time. It's a social civil war, but it's a civil war. And it really is very similar. There's no bullets or anything, but it's right, very exactly. much. Exactly. I don't disagree. It is, but it's the, the, the kind that he's talking about, you know, which we right. refer, yeah, we don't want to the go kind there. that we already went through. We, we do not want that to happen. So what I really called about was this legislation that they passed yesterday recognizing it's like this is the United States. We've been like that forever. Um, but what the effort behind this is and the impetus behind it, they are absolutely beginning to, well, not beginning, it came in with political correctness back in 1983 under Reagan, but they are reinforcing and constricting ever more so our ability to express our personal opinions about everything. that they're, they're constricting the language to the point where you can't say this, and you can't say this, and you can't say this, and you can't not like this person, and you can't not like that group of people. It's our opinion. Where, where, where do they get off telling us we can't have the opinion that we have? Seriously. Well, you know, you're right. Obviously, we are talking about, and it's, it's, this is the wave of, and it's one of the reasons why you said that we're, we've been in a civil war. There is a civil war over protected speech versus hate speech protected speech versus hate or protected ideas versus hateful ideas somehow somewhere some way somebody got to decide what speech is allowable and acceptable and what isn't and you're right because you know there's a reason why it is amendment number one in the bill of rights exactly freedom of speech exactly 
it, it their exists fight, this, this not whole to per- effort is an, is an effort to abridge that right. Yes, it is because and what people forget sometimes, obviously not you, Jay, but the reason for the need for the of the First Amendment or for the First Amendment is not to protect agreeable speech. It's no, not at all. speech that people disagree with, and some people find offensive, and some people find you know, rabble-rousing or whatever. That's exactly why we were founded. You didn't have that. If you spoke out against the king uh, uh, back when we were under British rule, you could be imprisoned. You'd be thrown in a dungeon. If you speak out against the government here or speak out Precisely. against anybody, you're protected because that's what you know. That's what a free nation is all about. And you're and right. I'm this glad resolution you does indeed. What, what this resolution is. does indeed essentially abridge free speech. That's why the that's why the uh, condemnation needed to be of Ilhan Omar specifically for uh, for dangerous speech uh, that is that is anti-Semitic because of the history we have in this not this country but in this world. Um, of what was done to Jews, who were viewed as less than human uh, during the, the, the Holocaust. Viewed as less than human. And if some speech does you know, promote and perpetuate that again, we don't need that sort of reaction to, uh, to rise up once again. And so, yeah, there's a very, very important line there that cannot be crossed, and that's where we're going to have to leave it for this edition of the Bob Brands Authority because time is quickly ticking away. Stay where you are. Mike Gallagher's coming up next on AM 1420 The Answer. Enjoy your weekend, and I'll see you Monday on AM 1420 The Answer. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.